Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited to talk to Justin Pierce today. Justin Pierce comes out of Los Angeles. He's the emergency manager there at LAX and works with LA airports. So we're going to be talking all about that and his perspective on emergency management today. Justin, again, comes back from a, an awesome background. He's worked all over the country. I've reached out to him several times only because I, I keep on seeing these amazing po posts on LinkedIn. And I was like, you know what? This guy knows what he's talking about. We need to have him on the show. Justin, we're so glad you have you on here. Let's just jump and run. Let's just jump in real fast and talk about plans. We don't want to waste any time. What do you think about the planning process and emergency management? And how can we update the field? I think every plan needs to start with a blank sheet of paper. Um, and and you go from there. I think that when you start to look at other plans for inspiration, that's one thing. But when you start grabbing those templates and just trying to fill out the template, you kind of lose sight of what you're even writing for uh, and what and what procedures you're trying to accomplish. Um, so I, I would always recommend to all new and, you know, experienced emergency managers with your company. If you have to write a plan, start from with a blank sheet of paper. Uh, I like that. So you, do you know who Rodney Melsick is, Justin? No, I don't. Rodney Melsick worked for the UN for about 20 years and then worked on the national strike team, uh, FEMA's IMATS for about 20 years. I call him the godfather of emergency planning because even though he's retired, like he'll still influence all these emergency managers. Oh, you should do this. You should think about that. And he was a big advocate for planning assumptions and looking at your planning assumptions and questioning what you thought was right and uh, diving really deep into that, um, that side of the house. And um, he's basically, in my mind, the greatest emergency planner on earth and will probably be for some time just because of the way he thought about it. He worked with so many different communities and you sound like a disciple of Rodney Melsick. That's why I was, uh, mm -hmm. that's why I was impressed with your comment. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it, it goes down to this, uh, essentially the, the ground root of, you know, emergency management has been changing so rapidly, essentially as the field has been kind of waking up to the, the use of data as the, the world has been starting to ask questions of what emergency management is. I feel like half the time I'm just giving a dissertation of what my job function is and starting to see other roles or other sectors uh, apply emergency management principles. And so I like the idea of peeling back of like what's standard um, and saying, hey, is this, a, is this still applicable? And, um, you know, what should be standard? That's my other question I've been asking myself a lot lately because uh, emergency management, because it's changing so rapidly, it's hard to define it. I'll ask 15 emergency managers. In fact, almost every episode, I'll ask emergency manager what they think about emergency management. And they give me a different definition. People who've been in the field for some time with degrees, without degrees, response backgrounds, not response backgrounds. And as a field, it's very hard for us to come up with a definition. And if we can't come up with a definition, of course, the people who we work with who are not involved in emergency management are going to be very confused about what we do because they say, hey, I took, you know, as you noted before we recorded, I took an ICS course, so I think I know what it is. Or I, I have a friend who's a fire chief, so I think I know what command and control is, but you don't really do command and control. And so, like, it's all these different nuances, and it, it, it begs the, the argument, should we start to come up with everybody across the field understand at least the definition and to if you have the definition should you 
create standards that you can build off of. Yeah, I think that as a as an industry, we need some solid talking points at, that we are um, pushing out once we when we work in our communities and organizations. I I completely agree. I think that uh, you know if you ask ten emergency managers what we do, you're going to get ten different responses, and that's a huge huge problem, particularly yes. when it comes to articulating to our elected officials. Uh, and our our C-level folks about, you know, the value of emergency management and what we bring to the table, to an organization, to a community. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you you don't have a a solution or a solid solution or a vision across the board, it becomes very confusing. And as a result of that, I think that's where we're at now, where we're a mile wide and an inch deep. (laughs) We get involved in all these different things and we don't really specialize in one thing and the way one city does emergency management is different from another city's emergency management. I think that's one of the bigger challenges that we have right now as an industry that need to come together and figure out. So we're all sort of operating um, or sitting on the same sheet of music. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster-tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radiocoms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700-degree blast of heat... Repeated three meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme Series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID 19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic, reusable, yes, reusable COVID 19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Okay, let's jump back in. Here's a fascinating one. In When I was in the D.C. area, and we were talking about uh, emergency management changing because FEMA was under um, DHS and the idea of protection. Now, my definition of protection, ironically, is different than probably what D- FEMA's definition is. But <clears throat> emergency management groups that we were talking to were considering the emergency managers carrying a weapon, which I would have never thought in a million years would have been a thing, right? The emergency manager, why is the emergency manager carrying a weapon? But, oh, hey, FEMA's under DHS, and DHS has protection, and so I think I can get away with it. And so I'm going to hire you know, my friend who's a former sheriff, and we're now the emergency managers. And it's like it, it, I've even asked people um, on this show, people who are on opposite ends of the spectrum on, the, on that topic, and like even to think, like, like, like I would have, like, why, you're not law enforcement, right? You, you're, that's not your job. But now there's, there's those thoughts creeping in because we are trying to embed ourselves in every single area of a quote-unquote emergency 
that we can't even knock down like okay we actually don't do that like i'm not the law enforcement guy but i work with law enforcement i'll help out law enforcement through coordination but i'm not the law enforcement guy so even those kind of topics it just shows that we need to we need to wrangle that in quite a bit as an emergency manager, I am the absolute last person that we want running around with yes. the weapon. I would have no idea what to do with it. I uh, That's not going to help me with operational coordination, yes. assessment, alert and warning. Uh, that's not going to help me accomplish my job. I might look a lot cooler, but uh, it's Bingo. not going to really help me accomplish uh, yes. um, mission as an emergency manager. It just shows how ridiculous the thought process is and how wide scope our um our field is right now because there's those who argue for it i i don't argue for that at all my thought process is if i'm the law enforcement guy then i cannot be the emergency manager because the emergency manager is best served by coordinating all these different things especially for at an organizational level when they come on scene they need to know where to go but if i'm responding then they don't know where to go right uh, even if I did have that training or even if somebody's listening, they're like, oh, I used to be X. It doesn't matter. Like the, the role of emergency management needs to work on that strategic level, not the tactical level to be most effective. So I, I think about when I think about the roles of emergency management, I really try to define it in functions and services, um, you know, um, a service being uh, operational coordination where we're bringing together stakeholders um, who are responding to whatever incidents in front of us, mm. everyone operating under a single battle rhythm with a common set of objectives, mm. uh, how they ac accomplish those objectives or their, their own individual tactics, which you know, that's not, I, I think, the business that we want necessarily to be involved in. Um, and then ensuring that those are all um, being delivered in a synchronized way um, to mitigate the impacts, save life, save property, and then wrap up uh, and demob uh, and wait until we have to do it all over again. Excellent. So let's talk about that in a more uh, like away from theoretical and into practice, right? So you work with airports in Los Angeles. Yes. Right. Yes. And so with airports in Los Angeles, how are you applying that? Like, quote unquote, who are your general stakeholders and how are you getting them on board? Because correct me if I'm wrong, everyone who you work with or most of the people who you work with your stakeholders are, are not even aware of EM, let alone um, have built that definition and whatever their definition is into their own practice. How do well, you get them on board? You know, uh, that was a airports, pun. Yeah. What's that? That was a that was an airplane pun. Get them on board. Oh, yes. Oh, I missed that. I missed that. Oh, yes. The pun. <laughs> you know, airports are very similar to a city in that there are multiple different jur jurisdictions within, you know, an airport's property. And you have a variety of stakeholders all ultimately there to serve those passengers uh, and to get them onto um, the property uh, safely and then off mm. the property. In, in an aircraft as soon as possible. Um, so you have you have airport op you have the airport itself and their staff. Well, so you have airport operations and facilities and maintenance and public relations, just like you do in any city. And then you also have your federal partners as well with the FAA, who controls the air traffic control tower. 
You have TSA who's operating the security checkpoints. If it's an international airport, you have Customs and Border Protection that's working in the federal um, inspection service areas. Um, You probably have some sort of local um, public health or human services uh, within within the jurisdiction that airport resides Mm. who are there to provide um, you know, family assistance services, if there were a type of incident at the airport, um, you know, oftentimes will have FBI, you know, every every three letter federal agency has some sort of uh, footprint on mm-hmm. large major um, airports. In addition to, you know, city and county, depending upon the, the construct of the airport itself. Um, and then you have the airlines as well, who are obviously key stakeholders. Those airlines have service providers that are helping them operate. Uh, and then you look inside the terminals, you have your concessionaires who are there serving those passengers as well. Mm. And on top of that, airports are constantly growing and expanding. So you probably have massive construction going on throughout um, those footprints as well, who become obviously key critical stakeholders or at least an, a, an audience in which you need to provide um, information and intelligence to so they can protect their workers. Um, that are out in the field if you have incoming weather. Um, So it's a very complex operating environment and the same mechanisms that a city or state does to bring those partners together or or the same constructs in which um, airports bring their stakeholders together. I like the idea of the complexity of it. Um, And I liked how you were walking through of like why it is so complex and and the idea of um, like so many people coming and going and, and what that means for you. I have a couple offshoot questions as you were talking. One, I've heard from so many in the EM industry worry about quote unquote drones. As a guy who works at airports, how much do you actually focus on drones? Is this like a real concern or is it like a lot of smoke from people who don't know what they're talking about? I, I think it's a huge concern. I think the emergency manager's role in that will differ depending upon the airport. Mm. Um, you know, from my perspective, I'm not necessarily concerned with the, you know, prevention or protection piece. I'm on the consequence management side. And so what I focus in on is to truly understand what the impacts could be um, if something were to happen with a, a drone. Um, that's where my focus is. Um, we have a lot of other federal partners, law enforcement partners who are trying to keep them, trying to keep the the airspace safe. Mm. Um, Whereas my focus is on if something were to sneak by the goalie, you know, what, what do those impacts look like? um, So we can prepare to respond as quickly as possible. So does, do you also then focus on like security checkpoints then with consequence management? Because like there was that, uh, what was it? 2015 or 2016, uh dhs did like what 72 tests trying to get uh materials through uh tsa it was like 69 failed it was just hilarious like of how much they were able to get through and there's the idea of the you know we were talking about this in my masters actually of like the idea of security and security presence for you know versus like actual security Mm -hmm. and what does that do and so like do you play with that at all in terms of consequence management or at least mitigation yeah, so TSA is a very close partner to 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 any airport, obviously. Right. Their their huge mission of of managing those security checkpoints for passengers uh, coming in. Um, we're blessed here 
um, at LAX that we have TSA actually embedded in our operation, our 24 seven oh, wow. operations center. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting that intelligence directly from their officers in the field of, you know, any situations that they're having and then disseminating that information. Well, first off, applying that to whatever else is happening at the airport at that time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, trying to create that common operating picture. And then most importantly, uh, using the uh, notification channels that we have to share that information with the appropriate partners, no matter what it is. Yeah. So, okay. So it goes along with that thought of like, you can, <clears throat> this is like that mixed bag approach of like consequence management really starts with mitigation and just reducing the impact of, of the disaster. And so when your impacts potentially are less, which is a really bad segue, but I had to call this out. I'm a huge Bengals fan. I'm from Ohio. I'm sorry. And... I'm sorry. <laughs> Was that you? Were you the reason why they lost? Were you the, you were the play caller there at the end? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I feel your pain, though. And I, I was walking around the airport um, the day after the Super Bowl, and uh, there were some very not-so-happy-looking <laughs> Bengals fans walking yeah. around. It doesn't look like they'd slept at all. They were crying. Their eyes were all red. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it will still be some like Disney story years later and they just will like skip the fact that they didn't win. Like, you, have you seen like Miracle on Vice? Yeah. Um, no, it's it's cool to think about uh, all the different ways of consequence management and, and all the overlaying uh, uh, factors of, okay, did you do, are we doing everything on prevention so that we can deal with lesser consequence or is there some things that we just know we can't stop and so what is going to be the impact what is the acceptable level of risk here um when if you're going to give like judge general advice to emergency managers especially if they're getting that organizational level or maybe even city level and they're starting to walk through that process of consequence management what's the starting point like where do you start to create your parameters of what's acceptable level of risk I think first understanding what that level of risk is and truly understanding the threats and hazards to your jurisdiction. Mm. And then based upon that, you can help prioritize your planning efforts Mm. and then determine which capabilities you specifically need to enhance um, to be able to more effectively respond to those, those things that you've deemed, you know, high risk. Because look, the, the amount of threats we have today are, it's never ending. They're constantly growing, um, you know, running around playing whack-a-mole, which I see a lot of emergency management agencies do because it's just a next bid topic. I don't think is a yeah. very effective approach. I think we have to be calm and steady, um, you know, starting with truly understanding your, of what can really, well, what's going to make a real bad day even worse um, yes. and then working up from there. So FEMA is doing this uh, cool thing with their national teams now. Uh, Cameron Starrett was on here, and I think Tim Britt, uh, for those who are listening, might want to follow up on that. But they're finally getting into the space. And when I say finally, it's like I was pitching this for years, is when they get out to a disaster now, they're looking at um, like the cascading inf- effects of not just the, the response, what could go bad, but also the impacts of their response. And... You know, years ago when they write their IAP, it was like, okay, my next 12 hours of my ops period, my next 24 hour ops period. But now they're starting to do four or five days. And I think really we can get much further beyond that if we start applying 
quantum analytics, and I, I truly mean that. Um, but if we start to look at some of this stuff and analytics, it, you know, like the, the age old phrase that we all use is like every disaster is different. It's like, well, yeah, I'm sure there's, uh, I've been to how many disasters, right? Large scale disasters. I didn't reinvent my job every time I went out there. I made had to do things slightly different to be able to be mo most effective. But the idea of like reinventing the wheel every single time is both ineffective and wastes so much time. I mean, we, we need to start adding things that we say, hey, that worked for you. This works for me. Um, let's start finding things that will be applicable so that when the flood comes in, we're not like, oh, there was a flood. Who knew? Well, now when we know what's going to happen five, five days, maybe one year down the road, we do the same thing now with uh, wildfires and mudslides. We know where the mudslides are going to happen because of wildfires. We don't have to think, just think about the wildfire anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's all, all in the idea of consequence management, right? Yeah. So let's talk about, let's actually, let's end this up with talking about the next steps because this is like most intriguing for our audience. We get the most questions from people of like, you had this really cool person on your show with this cool job. They don't even know how to get from like A to Z. Like they're just getting into the field. We have a lot of people who are students in emergency management right now. And a lot of times they hear only about the government side of emergency management. What attributes do you look for if you're going to be hiring or if you're going to do your, you're going to do your job steps again to be able to say, this is what you need to be effective in this role. My favorite question is when talking to the, like that next gen emergency managers is where their passion is mm. uh, and what motivates them. I think those are two extremely important qualities when it comes to emergency management. Um, when we're not you know, responding to a disaster, the work can be a grind and you really have to be a passionate about the field and mastering your craft in all aspects of that to be an effective emergency manager. So those are sort of the two top qualities I look for um, right away. And then my number one piece of advice to them is always, you know, just say yes, um, get involved uh, and do any types of projects you can get your hands on. Um, because once you knock that first one out of the park, people are going to recognize that and want to bring you back for an, uh, the next project mm -hmm. and the next project. And that's where you'll really start to really master, you know, the craft of emergency management. Now you sound like a disciple of Randy Griffin, who uh, helped stood up DHS and um, professor at Georgetown. I think he's a fire chief now in uh, New York, interestingly enough. But yeah, he'd always say that. Always say yes, because you're going to start looking back on your career and, you know, five, 10 years down the road, and you're going to have all these unique projects, successful mm -hmm. projects, hopefully, under your belt and now you're all of a sudden a generalist which is you really want to be in emergency management and you're going to start attacking different situations based off of lots of different experiences so that's a great call out saying yes to the idea of new opportunities that arise i would say you know uh like don't slow down as much as like people like want to take like i've heard a lot of people say like oh the pandemic has been exhausting and i feel that i feel them and I, I feel for them, but the slow burn is the right burn for emergency management. Being calm in that storm, yes, is, is exhausting. But like, if you have a long-term outlook here and you keep on moving the needle forward, 
like don't allow yourself to stop because once you stop, like now you're getting behind the curve, especially if you're new in the field. So I would say just keep, keep pushing. You know, keep pushing and, and become absolutely obsessive about learning everything you possibly can about emergency management. Um, it's not it's not just a job. It should become part of, a um, you know, part of your just your, your life as a whole, um, particularly when you're just starting out in, the, in your career. You probably have, you know, less responsibilities, uh, you know, than someone who's you know been around for 20 years and take advantage of that. Mm, put an insane amount of hours in. And when you don't think you can put any more put any more work in, do a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going on vacation to a city, you know, carve out four hours, call the local emergency manager, take them out to coffee and just have a conversation with them about, you know, those the hot button items at that moment, you know, build it into everything that you do. Um, I had several phone calls um, leading up to the Super Bowl here in Los Angeles from emergency managers that I've met throughout the entire country and was like, hey, I've never supported a, a Super Bowl before. Can I fly out on my own dime? I just want to mm. be a fly on the wall just to learn. And That's like awesome. in those situations, you say, absolutely, right? Um, those are the ones and those are the emergency managers that I find most successful. They're just absolutely obsessive about um, this field that we're in and will do anything to get their hands in, involved in, in projects. That's awesome. I like the, I, first of all, very good on you for saying yes to those people. Um, I love the idea of being obsessive about this and it's a lifestyle choice because like you start to integrate like situational awareness. Like I had this running joke, my son's, you know, two years old, about to turn three. And like, I was trying to get his first word to be situational awareness, situational awareness. Um, but like it, it, it is, it's a lifestyle change. It's something to be obsessive about. Um, there's other podcasts out there that, you know, we obviously support because they're part of the readiness lab. They'll do like, like every couple months, they'll talk about all the books that they have read and they'll, they'll present books out there. Now our style is more of hearing about the experiences of leaders for, for example, yourself, but if you're checking out different resources and they're telling you about the books to read, they're telling you, giving this career advice, you're listening to this podcast right now. And he said, be obsessive, give somebody a call if you're going on vacation. What a fantastic idea. Not only do you get to see all the different perspectives of emergency management when you go out there, but talk about a phenomenal networking for places that you might want to live one day. Hey, I'm going to be in Hawaii. I'm going to talk to the emergency manager. Well, sweet. I got a job in Hawaii. In fact, I did that when I was in my undergrad. My wife said I wanted to live on the East Coast or that she wanted to live on the East Coast. And so I set up informational interviews all over the place. And I was just trying to there to learn, see how they operated, see if I wanted to work there. But obviously, I was trying to get a job. And I was able to, uh, thankfully, land a job. And I'm really grateful for that. But I walked into my new job already understanding about 15 other places and how they operated in the region. And so when I started working and I said, hey, I work here now. All of a sudden, I have a couple of friends too. So, it's a it's a phenomenal idea. It's yeah. it's a great way to look at life for sure. Once, I would say also once you get that job or get that new job that you know, you know, gives you the ability to live. Um, don't stop there. Times are changing. You can have multiple jobs at the same time. Mm. Pick up additional projects. Who cares if you're even compensated for it? If they if that you are great, but just get involved. Do something with your local community. 
um, uh, you know, join a cert team, uh, join the team Rubicons of the world, pick up a consulting project on the side to go write an emergency operations plan for um, a, a different jurisdiction. Mm. Um, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be, all right, I'm going to be an emergency manager. I'm going to work nine to five. I have, you know, one, you know, one city that I work for. Um, I don't think that we're limited to that anymore. So I would say fill your cup up as, as full as humanly possible. Well, you, you just called it. So we had an intern position open for at Doberman. And uh, I had a lot of experienced emergency managers reach out to me. I was pretty surprised by that. But uh, those people who uh, I, I, I mostly out of curiosity, I started talking to them. And almost every single one of them said, I just want different experiences of writing different kinds of plans. Or I want to start training. And so those people were the hungry ones. And I was like, I got to find jobs for them. Because like, I just... I want to work with people who want to, who want to think like that and who want to gain more because they're going to be more valuable for both for me as a company, but also as individuals, like that's the right mindset. So uh, again, you're, you're making all the right call outs and I a hundred percent support what you're saying. For those who uh, listen to this episode, um, we're going to switch the tone here a little bit uh, as we, as we step out. You know, Justin just provided, you know, we were going to talk about LAX. That was my thought process walking in here, LAX, right? LA airports. But he walked through, I called him a disciple of Rodney Melsick. I called him a disciple of Randy Griffin, some of these huge people in our industry. And he's, he's walking through what, what you need to do to be successful in the field and how you should do that. One, because he's been there, obviously, you can, you can tell by the way he's talking. But now you can, you can take it in for yourself. So whether you're new to emergency management or you're experienced in emergency management, if you want to hit the next level in your career, take the advice that Justin just gave you because it's the same things I've done, the same things my successful friends have done. Be hungry. Be constantly hungry. Don't allow yourself to get full, and you'll be successful. And I think that's kind of the tune of this, uh, this episode of how do you be hungry in emergency management, what you should be doing, think, thinking things strategically even for yourself. And so if you like this episode, if you gain something from it, so we want you to do a couple things for us. We want you to put on social media, maybe something you learned, um, maybe a shout out to Justin. Maybe you want to tag him, Justin Pierce. Um, go on Disaster Tough Podcast social media channels. Check that out. Tell us what you're thinking about in your career. If you need advice, uh, ping the field. You know, there's a whole community out there who's uh, willing to give advice, and we're happy to do that. So if you, if you had that thought process, give us a comment. If you like this episode, give us that five-star rating. Yes, this is the shameless plug. Give us a five-star rating and subscribe, and we'll see you next week.